What's up? And welcome to Clarity for Parents of Athletes, bringing you stories from professional athletes about their parents and how they were raised. My name is Gabe Nocere from aclearmind.com. Now, I really like the metaphor you used as far as seeds and then watering them. Um, And seeds are basically characteristics. Now, when I spent a lot of time talking to your husband, Peter, up in Pemberton, he told me that you are the hardest working person on the earth. So, you know, your work ethic is one of your strongest characteristics, it seems, and it's no wonder that you were you know, heading toward the Olympics in badminton for Canada and then spent 18 years on the women's national team. Now, what are some of the other seeds that you feel your parents planted within you in order for you to grow? Um, Well, first, I think work ethic is an important thing. I'm not the hardest working person on on the earth. Um, But I think it's a very important thing. But but to work in, as I understand it, because I could work really hard or somebody could work really hard and just use a sport context to break somebody's leg, and, you know, within the field of play. Uh, and and so work ethic in the correct way, you know, um, that that is an important seed. So that would have been, you know, nurtured by my parents. Um, I think with just... Uh, allowing me to just play and supporting that and to participate. And uh, they were great community members. Um, And we always had, uh, like, I think (laughs) my mom always had this old macrame or embroidered uh, saying that I actually still have it around here. Cause it was amazing when, when say your, your parents are no longer there, the things that you end up, like the material things that you end up taking away um, that just kind of reminds you of them. But it was this embroidered from their wedding wedding when they got married was come into my kitchen and chat with me while I prepare a cup of tea. Hmm. And, and I just, I know my mom as an example would just welcome everybody into the home and it didn't matter which one of my my friends was brought over or which you know person from the community or whatever that is it's just this this open warm woman um that you know was in all of our lives that was really a, a pillar in that way that didn't say a lot but just showed a lot and you know it's the same with my dad and and just the great deal of respect that everybody in the community that he would go out and as busy as he was would have time for um you know an old folks home to to help them with their accounting and i you know or church members whatever that was that they were just this this consummate um opening themselves up to the community to to help out and and so you, you look at those those types of of qualities, and of course everybody is human, and um, but they're they're just ones that you just aspire 
too, and continue to, even though they're not here in a physical sense. I know that they're still here, you know, within my heart. And, and I look at my, our young one is, is 25% from a blood sense of, of my, my parents. And, but that's just from a bodily sense, what they, they've left by, uh, behind is just, you know, patience, an antidote to anger and, and just exercising these moralistic or, or virtuistic um, standpoint that we don't spend a lot of time investigating what it really is patience. Um, now I can articulate it more because I'm trying to study or look into it more myself, but then you can see moments or many moments where they, my parents embodied patience and compassion and um, diligence and, and different scenarios uh, from that standpoint. Sounds like they kind of embodied that mentality of slowing down. Well, they, yes, they try to, for sure. Um, but our culture is something that, you know, more so now, less so back then. Um, but yeah, you, you need to slow down and go away as a family and spend spend time in that way where you still have pockets or say when my brother and I um, didn't behave very well. Age 14 was a very difficult year for me. And that's why Jake <laughs> bringing us together with 13 to 15 year old girls um, was just, I remember how difficult that age was for me. Um, and I, I, I'm sure that that's when my parents first started going gray when I turned 14. Uh-oh, I want to hear some stories now. You have to share something. Well, it's just, it's, it's interesting because I went through long stretches of, of say, not drinking. Um, and then drinking. As in when I was in university and all of a sudden exposed and, oh, goodness, let's, let's drink because this is the uni university lifestyle. Yeah, it's not the university lifestyle. It's just that's what everybody thinks is socially acceptable at that point but having alcohol being introduced at age 14 um because it's the sneaky thing to do and you know i i just i that that vice is not going to lead anybody and it certainly didn't lead me at age 14 in a, a good way um there's no real redeeming qualities especially at that young age where you take things to an excess so it was kind of this this hard moment that didn't last very long but a very dark moment and and of course we're talking about different hormones and coming to a point where now we've got this level of independence that we want to see or seem to want to fulfill at that age that we just don't have the con context or the wisdom to really make sound judgments for ourselves so how did your parents help you so here's here's one is is that so much now is peer oriented and meaning the peers are leading the peers. And that's what that period definitely felt like the peers were leading the peers. And we don't at age 14 have that sort of in general, I'm talking general terms, but we just don't have that decision-making that's based on, you know, the, the seeds getting watered often in, in the appropriate way. Now, when the negativity is breeding the negativity. So when you talk about, you know, having more of the, the parent orientation is they just kind of at that point 
put some lines down in the sand and, and just said it's, it's unhealthy and, and tried their best to just constantly show up, constantly show up. Because when somebody is in a negative state, it's not like you can really will yourself out of that negative state by thinking, well, in this case, sometimes you have to go through it. Um, that you have to change something, but, but belaboring that point or just talking about the negative qualities are actually just going to fester the problem. So there's just like a, this balance of setting some lines in the sand and allowing space in a, in a loving way to sort of get through it. And it was a heavy year and that, that balance between the two of just being firm and love if it if it is love from a disciplinary way in in sorry love and negativity don't exist together but if what we think is love and i'm doing it for the best but i'm doing it from not from not from my heart it's actually not love if you do it from your heart um then it is from a place of love and and love can be also affirmed you know, set lines. This is not okay. And, and now not having the opportunity to talk to them about it, but being a parent myself and understanding that these moments are going to arise and I can do something from a point of frustration or anger, which is never going to be love, or I can try and just hold space for, for somebody else to um, sort of go through it, but help to, to shift them. So by giving somebody space as opposed to feeding into it, I could see that my parents allowed me to get through that faster. Um, so sometimes you need a change. So the change was spending time away from the friends, from that fuel or what was fueling something within me. Um, and it can be something like a family trip, a change in that way, a change of, of context, um, something where you can relax a little bit more. Uh, you know, so it's, it's very unique to each situation that but that's where you're hoping that your your parents are going to have sort of that wisdom and wisdom being attached to the love within our hearts that, that help to move support somebody through a negative situation. So it sounds like they, and this has kind of been a theme that's been hitting me hard the last couple months in my life, is that balance of, you know, kind of your like your situation, hey, this is not okay, but I love you and I understand that this is what you chose right now, but we still need to make sure that you know that this isn't in your best and highest purpose or interest. Right. And, and this is for us to learn communication. And, and of course, a 14-year-old or a youngster doesn't have that communication. And and nor do we as adults, we really don't know how to love. <laughs> and, and we're, this is our, our journey is to, to try and get back on a path that opens us up to, to have what we have within us. Um, and thank goodness, forget about my patience, the four and a, our four and a half year old is an incredibly patient human being because we as adults don't have it all figured out. So he is a beautiful example of just us messing it up and then he just kind of accepts it and goes on. But just the way in which we communicate to each other, like the statement of you never come home on time. 
you know, that how often have we thrown that down? It can be whatever you want, but it's always this way or it's never this way. It just basically shuts the door on somebody else communication wise to make them or force them probably into defensiveness or well, what are you talking about? I did come home and, and now even communication gets lost with that to, you know, we're often confusing our thinking with our emotions and, you know, and, and confusing the external and, and people um, with what our emotions are. And we're culturally just not taught that way. So it's a very confusing thing as we're trying to fumble through of even that distinction between what is our thinking and what am I, what am I feeling that is not, not changing because of the other person. It's what I feel versus quite often our thinking is attached to what is external to us. And, and quite often how people can, uh, be moved around the playing board, so to speak, so that it makes my emotion going away, go away, my negative emotion go away. But that's not how it works. We need to have a distinction between um, our emotions and our thinking, and then to come up with our communication. And you know, like when this happens, I, you know, it an emotion. Tell them your emotion. Um, share with them the emotion that you're feeling and then share with them what that's doing to you. And then also share with another person, how are we going to, to, to resolve it? And I think to my communication, how many times that I just bumble it by, you know, a few words in the incorrect way or a body tone that looks or body gesture or a tone in my voice that is actually communicating something completely different, but just leads us down the road to conflict. Yeah, it's amazing how a simple statement that you've used your whole life um, can be invalidating for children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we we had heavy experiences with our daughter, my stepdaughter, um, a few years ago, and we got a list of invalidating statements from her therapist, and she said, "Okay, you know, put a check mark next to ones that you've either said or heard," and we went through them and I was just like knocking them off one after another. And I was like, Oh my God, so many statements, you know, simple ones like don't feel this way or don't be sad. You know, things that you're, you're, you're thinking you're trying to help your child. You know, obviously there are some basic ones where we're coming from that place of frustration or anger that, you know, you, you belt out something, obviously that those are easy to say, that's an invalidating statement, mm-hmm. but you know, there's so many simple little statements that can really lead to that communication that you were speaking about that can go down in a downward spiral and cause a lot of friction. And this is, you know, as, as you're in sport, I'm still in sport. You realize that, you know, when, when parents drop their kids off to you, um, as the person responsible or one of the people responsible. And this can be at an administrative level above coaches or with coaches or sorry, a a governing body of different sport organizations, because we're ultimately responsible for those young ones. But when they come and the parents are dropping them off, what a sense of responsibility that we should be having towards how we can likely impact them as closer to clean slates than we are for sure that we are leaders in that um, 
we're, we're going to influence the other human being and the human beings around us, that how we're going to influence them is what we need to ask ourselves. And, and so realizing that the whole leadership process piece of this, and this can be with whatever we're doing, whether or not it's an artist, because the artist in a piece of artwork is going to influence those around. And, and again, by that image that is created and, and the intent behind it, what, how are we going to influence the people that are going to look at it? Do we inspire them to, to greater things um, beyond themselves, to develop themselves, to inspire them towards moving towards more of a, a eternal happiness? Or are we inspiring them in a, in a way that's going to lead to a downward spiral? So the same thing within sport. How, how are we going to do this? And it comes back to the inner process that we have to embark upon an inner process to first get to know ourselves. What is making my mind tick the way that it is? Um, and, and we have to, to come to terms, and this is going to be a lifelong battle, actually, um, to begin to, to start to unearth this. Um, because if we don't embark upon that process within ourselves, how can we expect other people to, to do that if we're not first beginning to understand? Because we can make a statement that you just said we think is a positive statement when in actuality it's laced with the ego, yet we're justifying it or we just mechanically think, oh, we're, we're trying to help another human being. I'm trying to help you by yelling at you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where, you know, I truly believe every parent out there is doing his or her best, um, but it just depends on where they're coming from. Because like you said, I can be yelling at you because I love you and I want you to learn. And that's not saying that that's the most functional way to respond to certain situations. Yeah, yeah. Well, the... Again, firmness can come in that way, but yelling, if it, we have to investigate within ourselves and experience again, where, what is that seed that is, a, is leading to that, that thought? What is that seed that's leading to that thought that now I'm, I've got the will to speak or act? And we, we think that we're acting out of, oh, I'm such a good person, you know, yet I'm doing it because... You know, I want to be recognized because I, you know, maybe feel a little insecure or whatever that I fear that I'm not good enough. So I'm going to go out and raise a bunch of money. Yet, yes, there can be some benefit out of that. But did it come out of a, a genuine place that really is an altruistic place within you? Because I'm, I'm going to do this without any conditions. So I'm going to love another person without anything, any conditions attached to it, or I'm going to love this person with the conditions. And most of everything that we call it is love or call love within our lives is very conditional. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think one thing that comes to mind is when, you know, you're able to to bring up as a parent, you're able to talk to your child or coach in a certain, you know, about a certain topic, but it's all about the approach that you use it with the unemotional approach that's really coming from love. Because, you know, you may have seen it in your career where either somebody's parents 
that you were coaching or somebody that you've seen, one of your teammates maybe, how they approach their child or how they approach the coach of their child, the tone that they set or direction that they come from can really make a huge difference on how it affects their child one way or another. Well, and that's, that's that inner process that we have to begin this process by observing ourselves. And, to, to, and it takes a lot of energy and it's not possible to do it right now in our current state all day long because we go in and out of this like sleeping consciousness of, yeah, I can make a statement in one moment that's very mechanical and that has this attitude attached to my tone that actually is speaking something louder than the words. Um, or there's other times where I'm, I need to become aware and really concentrate on the words that I'm speaking and how I deliver that, that message. Yeah. So if you had any advice for parents who are raising athletes, what are a couple things that you would, like, what kind of advice would you give them? Something that really that you've seen based on your experiences throughout your childhood with how your parents raised you? I think, I think presence is in to be there with your child because they're not, not that you can be there out on the playing field, but involvement is, is a really important thing. Um, because when we just also, when you drop kids off, to say to training or to a new team to still be close by to have I you know the ability to have a conversation how are things going and and to understand again that you're going to be the first voice within the car um after the game uh likely with your your kids it's important not to just to drop them off blind eye can you be a part of the process to explain certain things to them? Uh, can you be part of the process to help them grow through this experience versus just letting them experience it and experience it on their own? Because um, if, if your compass point is to try and help them grow as much as they can, and when I say grow, everybody thinks, I'm, I'm sure the common thing is, is to grow from a physical sense. Um, but then there's the emotional sense. There's the um, mental sense. There's the, the physical sense. There's a spiritual sense in that when you're talking about the qualities of love, that's talking about the qualities of um, your heart and something deep within. And then there's, there's this energy uh it could be energy lost through just frustrations and anger and spending too long in these angry moments is just going to be energy pouring out. And I would say that as a parent, it's really important to first, we need to embark on a process that really starts to look within ourselves to, to, to begin to understand what anger is, what really, what love is not you know, what are the things that are going to help to nourish and nurture and cultivate in a, a growth way. And, and so it's that involvement, but first we must take steps to, to, to begin a process of trying to, to have a, a deeper and new vision 
within ourselves, because if we don't do this work for ourselves, then inevitably we're going to get caught in this mechanicity of it can be a tone, it can be, and we're going to mess up all the time. But it's just whether or not we're going to, to put a foot on a path that's going to help to little by little <clears throat> not be angry when conflict arises, but to, to be in a place of patience and trying to understand and to know when if my presence there is going to lead to more negativity or can we just kind of move through this and analyze it at a different point when everybody is sort of cooled down again it's, it's a long-winded and philosophical answer but it's to say that we as parents need to um, learn more about ourselves and to remain involved so that as we learn a little bit more about ourselves and are a few steps further on this journey of life we can help to hopefully guide somebody through in a very um, heart-centered way through some of the, the difficulties that inevitably will arise in life. Yeah, it's always that theme of coming back to the inside, right? And that sense of really getting to know oneself and the better we do get to know ourselves and look from within, the more beneficial it is to our children and the more they will flourish in anything they're doing in the classroom, on the field, on the court, and training with friendships. I mean, it really goes far in their lives. Oh, yeah. And it's, and what an opportunity for us, <clears throat> for the kids, for us to, to now see even our past with a new vision to go, wow, I, <laughs> They, they, there was scenarios where you see um, kids that are bullying each other and and then you you are firm or you try to help resolve and and work through that and then realizing that this is also an invitation for me to look within myself to say how many different times have I bullied another uh, human being without even realizing it and wow it's just an opportunity for all of us to, to, to sort of rectify different things to say, no, I, I resolve to, to do something different in, in the future from this moment to think and try to act and try to feel and, and in a different way. Yeah. Amazing. So kind of what I've gotten out of this interview with you is, you know, your experience with your parents they were extremely trusting in your process um, and didn't try to limit you at all and just kind of let you figure out life without putting these quote-unquote restrictions on you. And that continued throughout your sporting career where you said they didn't even mention anything. They didn't even give you any kind of negative feedback at all until um, you said, I think, when you were about 17 years old, when they finally said something. And by that time, I imagine you had a very strong foundation of trusting yourself on the field or on the badminton court. Yes. And I was able to say, I, it didn't help, <clears throat> but say you're a youngster. It's different when you're 17 and you have that sense of, you know, that, that stronger sense within yourself. To, to use your voice um, that they recognized and rectified it right away. But when you're a youngster, you don't really have that voice or, you know, maybe they will act in different ways because of that. And, and I, I love the fact that they were there, they were involved 
um, but quietly, and they help to guide. <clears throat> and sometimes, oh, as you're awesome. as as you're walking, like we were just taking Jackson over to the North Shore in Vancouver, and he loves taking transit. So here we are on the the Sky Train, and then the C bus, and and it's just like it's crowded Friday before a long weekend and uh, business end. So busy times and it's just a hand on the shoulder, just a guide. He's going to walk, walk next to, to us or me. And it's just like, I'm not going to pull him by the hand and say, come this way. He can walk. But it's just like every once in a while, there's a nudge on the shoulder to just say, I'm here or we need to stay tighter or whatever that is that is communicating. And, and, and within the sporting world, um, it's not about the players or the athletes and the coach and just that team. It's about all of us. Well, you cannot separate it. It's not silos, grain silos where you, you stick the grain and the wheat in one silo and over here is corn. And it's, it's all life is there and it's, it's all, it's not sport. And then I'm going to live my life here we're all part of it. So we need to, you know, for, for the parents that quite often were no wiser than the youngsters, that the youngsters are actually closer to their hearts than we are because of our, our conditioning through decades. Absolutely. That um, we think that the, we're wiser and you're, we're like forcing people this direction. And yet we have to, to understand that, it is about guiding, but first we have to, to be in a process of being guided from within um, ourselves. Wow. Deep, deep. I love it. Well, you know, I, I, <laughs> I did <laughs> just a few weeks ago um, with regards to sort of the history of women's soccer. And I started talking very philosophically because I could tell that the interview was going to go in a way <clears throat> that uh, my friend, my former teammate said she, she really wanted me to talk about the details of what had unfolded during this World Cup. And <laughs> I don't have those details. Right. <laughs> so long ago, it was my first World Cup. Um, and my mom was going through chemotherapy at that point, but she really wanted details there. I could see her, she was getting so frustrated because I would take a philosophical look at it <laughs> through that particular experience because that's what I have are those reflections back and what have I learned and and again I have a different vision now um, than I did back then and so to deal with that minutia so I appreciate the fact that I've been able to talk a little bit philosophical here about life uh, with you yeah of course I love it that's the direction I go I like to go super deep what was the smell of the grass (laughs) (laughs) yeah but I can tell that depth and that philosophical nature really one it directed you into going from olympic level badminton to longevity you know 18 years on the canadian women's national team to the point where your husband peter told me this story a couple times when we were up in pemberton that you were on the women's um, national soccer team and uh, christine sinclair came out and they were talking to all the players about who is their kind of motivating person in their life? Who do they want to be like? And I think um, Peter told me you you yourself, you mentioned your mom, and I think a lot of the other players did as well. But Christine said that she wanted to be like you. And I think that shows 
you know, that this is, you know, now she's the all-time caps leader, all-time goal-scoring leader in Canadian women's soccer, uh, that she looked up to you because she felt the depth of your being and it really con- uh, connected with her. Well, and I, yeah, and I messed up many times as an athlete, but somebody like Christine Sinclair was somebody that I was learning from <clears throat> equally as much equally as much. So I I feel honored that she was my teammate. She was much younger than me, but again, it doesn't matter what age you are. If you're learning from a four and a half year old or learning with a four and a half year old or within the context of soccer where you're learning, uh, you know, with and and from these younger players, um, I, it's, it's like the, in, in all of life, we wear a jersey in life and we don't realize that we actually have a jersey on as we're walking around and and these indelible signatures of all these people who have left a mark on, on your life is is uh, a pretty incredible thing. Yeah, I bet. Um, well, it sounds like you're leaving your mark on a lot of lives and I hope the parents and non-parents who are listening to this really get something out of this as well to help them guide their child or others or if they're a coach, to guide their players. I think this is a really deep and powerful conversation we just had, and I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you uh, for this opportunity. And, and I've, I've too learned through this and learned uh, with you too. So it's like uh, we're all sort of embarking upon a journey. And, and as much as we globally think that there's all these divisions, that's it's not. Um, we're all part of this is really philosophical here, but um, <laughs> keep going, one, go one, for it. One team. So thank you for, for being my teammate. And for those who are, are listening, like this is just such an opportunity that we have for this next generation through sport. Um, so best, best warmth for, for what you're embarking upon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrea. I appreciate it. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you. So what were your biggest takeaways? For me, I have a couple of them. One was, how about the fact that her parents never told her that she was born with dislocated hips, and more importantly, Andrea's parents never told her that the doctors informed her parents that she wouldn't run properly. Imagine the mental limitations she would have very likely grown up with if her parents decided to program her with that belief that something was wrong with her. It would have no doubt limited her belief in herself. And instead, they decided to surrender to the experience they were all facing and just go with the flow and let Andrea fall and hurt herself and figure out life through the experiences instead of preconceived beliefs, which would have held her back. You know, essentially, they let her quote unquote fail and figure it out instead of trying to be overprotective. They didn't limit her. I know I've had conversations with parents who tell me that their child isn't good at this or good at that, and the child is right there listening, nodding his or her head in agreement. You know, if we underestimate or limit a child's ability due to our own ego, we program them to underestimate and limit themselves. Our own ego feels the need to compare our child to others to determine them good enough or not good enough. And it's how we as parents have been programmed by our parents and experiences and the pressures that we perceive from society. And we want what's best for our children, so of course we're going to do what we think is best to help them. But is it really what's best for our children to compare them to what we want them to be like? 
or can we gently guide them alongside their journey through life and through sport? Is it really what's best for our children to program them to firmly doubt themselves that they're not fast enough, strong enough, don't dribble, juggle, shoot well enough? Or can we help them love wherever they are and whatever they're doing and to teach them to love training, love working hard, love competing, and all the other aspects in sports? They can only do that if they truly love what they're doing and not base their pleasure of sports on their accomplishments. They can only truly love what they're doing if they feel truly loved by the people that matter most. Another big takeaway I had from Andrea's message was what she said she focuses on with her son, Jackson. Whatever she says, she asks herself, is what I'm saying correct? Is it kind? And is it helpful? Now imagine how much benefit we as a society will receive if everyone could slow down and think about those three items before talking and communicating with each other. Now, of course, most of the time we we believe what we're saying is correct, but of course, sometimes people say things that they know is not correct in order to gain some type of benefit. But to make sure we're being kind and to make sure that what we're saying is helpful to our child takes some serious slowing down which essentially means we're coming from a place of love and not ego. The ego is triggered because it wants something to be different than what it is. We can react quickly when our thinking gets spun up and when we don't like something. But when we're able to be conscious of this fact that speaking from ego, in fact, will hurt our child, we are able to slow down and come up with a loving way to communicate. And guess what? Sometimes we can slow down so much that we find that we don't even need to say anything at all. And sometimes not saying anything is the best thing for our child. Letting a child figure things out and trusting that the universe has his or her back can be one of the most challenging things a parent can go through. But being aware that all our fears of what our children will be like or not be like only comes from within us and nowhere else. Being aware of the fact that our thinking is creating the lens in which we see the world can help us clear our minds into pure love. When we live life from love is when we flourish in all aspects of life. And guess what? Our children will flourish as well. Thanks for listening. I'm Gabe Nocer. If you need, you can always get in touch with me at gabeataclearmind.com. Uh, go to my website and there are links to my social media and you can connect with me there as well. Much love to you and many blessings.